open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Globally, 285 million people are visually impaired, 39 million are blind, and 246 million have low vision. About 90% of visually impaired people live in developing countries where cataracts remain the leading cause of blindness. But perhaps the most alarming statistic, 80% of all visual impairment can be prevented or cured. This episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid is different. Today I want to share really an eye-opening look at the scale and impact of global blindness and really explore the ongoing efforts to combat this devastating issue. First, I speak with Dr. Kathleen McCabe about her dedication to medical mission work and the effect this experience has had on her both personally and professionally. This is something that I think for myself has really enriched my life and allowed me to provide a positive impact on the world. Later, I talked to Shira Schaefer, the Director of Social Innovation and Impact at Tom's, the company that pioneered the buy one, give one business model, first with shoes and now with eyewear. Our eyewear team works really hard to produce both sunglasses and optical frames that people want to buy. But with everything that they do, they understand that when someone makes a decision to buy that pair of frames, that another person around the world in, in 13 countries, in fact, is going to have their sight restored. Listen in, it's going to be a great episode. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is supported by Elevro from Alcon. So today I have Kathleen McCabe with me, and Kathleen is a, is a friend and has been so for a number of years. We've seen each other at conferences and always enjoy getting Kathleen's perspectives. Um, she always has such a positive attitude about what's going on in her world, what's going on in our industry. And I recently saw that she was in Africa doing uh, cataract surgery for uh, those in need. And so Kathleen, with that being said, I would love for you to just tell your story, um, to hear about what's going on um, in the world of charity cataract surgery, and maybe just how you got involved and got started in this. So with that being said, um, let's hear let's hear how your experience was. Right, great. So it's wonderful speaking with you, Gary, and uh, right back at you at how uh, I've enjoyed our conversations at meetings and, and throughout the years. And, um, but this is something really near and dear to my heart. It's uh, just something I've been passionate about pretty much since I entered medicine even, not just ophthalmology, but uh, trying to provide you know, better care when we can to patients who are just unable to gain access to adequate medical care or there just isn't anything available in their area or resources are limited. So this is something that I think for myself has really enriched my life um, and allowed me to provide a positive impact on the world. And then the second thing that I'm that I really have enjoyed about it is involving my family. So pretty much since we even started doing any medical missions, um, I've involved my children. And uh, as you know, Gary, I know you have a big family and yeah. I have five children. And the first time we took a medical mission with my children was to Belize. I spent a month there uh, doing a general medical clinic in my internship, actually. Wow. And, you know, we took my two oldest. They were five and seven, my two oldest girls. And they actually spent time in the local um, school while I was in the clinic there. And I think the really um, 
a wonderful thing about that is that it gives your children a new perspective on the world and their place in it. So I've been, you know, really blessed to be able to involve my family. That is so cool. And, you know, we're friends on Facebook and I actually saw, I think I saw maybe that you guys were flying um, halfway around the world recently and I saw a picture of you and your husband and your, I think it was your older kids, maybe that was in the picture. And I just thought that was so cool. Uh, so cool that you are paying forward um, all of the things that you find uh, to be important in life and in medicine and your kids get to actually see you in action. Um, you know, I come home from work and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just dad at home and, and no one really, they kind of know what I do, but they don't ever really get to see the impact of, you know, taking care of patients who, you know, we don't have a ton of patients who get let in by the hand and are totally blind from cataracts. But, you know, Kathleen, I had a, a patient just a couple weeks ago who literally was light perception, both eyes with projection. And he just, when, when he came back in for his post-op visit after he even did his first eye, let alone his second eye, just the joy that he was able to share with me, with all of our staff, it, he was, he, you know, he was thanking me for what I did, but I think what he did for me, it just so, so reinvigorated that love and that passion for why I decided to become a cataract surgeon and an eye doctor. I love to help people. I love to impact people. Uh, I just, there's just nothing that beats that experience. Absolutely. And, and you know, what we do really, you know, it changes people's lives. In fact, I saw a patient today, bilaterally hand motions with cataracts. Um, here, but I saw this patient a couple years ago, and she came in with her daughter, who was a single parent of a, a very young child, preschool child, and um, we did her cataract surgery, white cataract, bilateral, but did one, one eye surgery, and, you know, the patient was happy, but the daughter came in for the evaluation after her first eye, and she was just crying and saying what a difference it had made in her life. Because she used to have to get up early, feed her mom, bathe her mom, get her child to preschool, go to her job, come back, repeat everything for both of these two people she was taking care of, her child and her mom. Right. And that was her life. And then as soon as her mom had her first eye surgery, her mom now was able to not only take care of herself, but to help her with her toddler. And it was just like her life had totally changed, and she was so grateful. So it's not just our patients, but it's their families and their caregivers and all the extended people that have to help them when they're not able to function with visual impairment. So, And that same thing happens just multiplied for patients in other countries that just don't have any access or any real hope of changing that situation once they become blinded with cataracts. And, it's just mind-boggling when you think about it that the leading cause of blindness in the world today is still cataracts because we know cataracts is something just completely curable. Yeah. And, and it, to me, it's just, you know, I just, it's hard to grasp what that's like in another country where you just don't have any ability to, to solve that problem. Isn't it ironic, Kathleen, that in the United States, ophthalmologists are actually kind of competing with each other for market share. Like we want more cataracts. There's just not enough, you know, for us to take care of. Um, or at least sometimes you can kind of get that sense of maybe competition between, you know, high volume places. 
And then you think there's, you know, I'm kind of looking at some statistics of 18 million people around the world are needlessly blind from cataracts and are awaiting care. And other countries, it's exactly the opposite. You're right. The irony of it in that other countries, it's just that it's not the patients that are at a minimum, you know, or that are at a shortage. It's, it's the providers and just not having any providers or so few providers that the, the need is so enormously greater than anything can be provided for. So, yeah, you know, it's weird. We have that situation that's just so diametrically opposed to really what the majority of the world experiences. So, so it's, it's kind of interesting. You said this is something that's really been in your DNA and it's something that's been very important to you. Um, my father was a medical missionary um, internationally for a number of years. He and my mother kind of traveled the world. Um, he's an internist. And so um, he shared with me, you know, kind of growing up. Um, and when I was in medical school, that's when he was actually doing a lot of the international stuff. He said, you know, it's really frustrating. We can take care of patients so long as we have the supply of medicine um, and we're when we're there. But when we leave and the medicine runs out, these patients with, for example, diabetes or, or hypertension, um, seizures, etc., they go right back to where they were, and we really haven't made as much of an impact. And with cataract surgery, it really is the the one stop shop. It's the ten minute procedure that provides a lifetime of vision, and it really is dramatic in terms of when you look at value per per effort. I don't think there's a more valuable procedure in probably anywhere, but especially in the developing world for patients who, you know, are maybe in their early fifties or, you know, early sixties. And like you said, it's not just about them. It's not just about their lack of dignity and their lack of, of independence. They become a burden on their family. And it's a real issue with, um, in the developing world for, um, depression, for a burden on the family. And, and these patients are hopeless. Just like you said, that, that first mission I told you about in Belize, that was a general medical mission. And, you know, that was really impactful to me. And the fact exactly what you said, we would have patients come in with hypertension or diabetes or some chronic disease. And we might have a little bit of donated medicine there, but we didn't have enough to really sustain the patient or to do a meaningful thing over many years. And, you know, you're right, cataract surgery, here we have this thing that we can do that just changes somebody's life kind of overnight. And even if we only treat one eye, if that's all we can do in that instance, it's just life-changing for that person. So, you know, like I said, that's been a really a passion of mine. And, and just seeing my children be a part of that and work really, really hard while they're on a mission and then, you know, take away that sense of satisfaction that they've helped somebody, even though I don't have any children going into medicine, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> but my, uh, my son and, and one daughter uh, went on this recent Kenya trip that we just got back from, and they both have on, been on multiple medical missions, mostly to the recurrent mission that we do in St. Vincent in the Grenadines. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when my son, uh, Max, who is 22 now, the first time he went on it as a teenager, it was our family vacation time. Okay. And he said halfway through it, after working these you know ten hour days in the heat, uh, just helping patients all day long, he said something to me. He said, 
mom, this is the best vacation we've ever been on. Oh, man. You know, it's those little tiny moments of parenthood when you go, oh, we did something right. Oh, you did. You're doing something really right, Kathleen. Not surprising at all. Um, That's so refreshing to hear. So tell me a little bit about your specific, um, the mission or the, the place you went and if you're, if there are surgeons out there who are looking to make an impact and looking to give back, what are the opportunities that you know about, or what are some things that people should be looking for, um, to really make that, that big impact, um, in a way that's going to maybe be sustainable? Well, you know, there's all kinds of different ways of getting involved. So, you know, for me, um, I started out and going to a mission that was organized partly by the Lions Club. In okay. Vienna, where I was practicing, it was in Honduras. Um, there are missions that I've done through Sea Surgical Eye Expeditions. There are missions that you can do through MMI Medical Minister or Medical Mission International. Um, this trip that I go on to St. Vincent is through another organization called Mobile Medical Ministry Hospital. Um, but but the bottom line is there are many many different organizations that you can easily. Uh, plug into and become involved in that are overseas and, uh, you know, will either allow you an opportunity to do fake emulsification or extra caps. But if that's a big leap, if that's something that's a little bit scary to do to begin with, there are plenty of, of mission type experiences, either in your local community. For instance, we have, um, uh, organization that comes in here called remote area medical which I think is a nationwide organization bringing this type of care, free care to uh, underserved patients, even in our own communities. Um, so that's a way of sort of, you know, getting your toe wet in the, in this uh, type of, of uh, um, service. That would be a great way to start. They're very well organized uh, and you can get plugged into something that might be a little bit more locally occurring for you. Or you can even go to other mission um, opportunities that are in the United States but not local. Sure. So so there are lots of ways of getting involved that way. I think one of the biggest uh, fears that people have is just, is it going to be, you know, it's a a different microscope. It's a different uh, set of equipment. It's you have to have a little bit of that entrepreneurial MacGyver spirit. You don't have the things you're used to or you think you had more of something and it and you don't have it or a piece of equipment isn't working the way it should be. So there is a, a, a degree of flexibility that's necessary. But the, the good news is that when you're done with the experience, I've almost always seen that I've picked up a trick or two or had to develop a new way of looking at things that only assists me later in taking care of unexpected things with my own patients. So, um, you know, I think it's just, it's a great way to, to grow as a surgeon and, uh, and give back at the same time and meet new people that have new ways of doing things and new ways of looking at things as well. So the other people on your team, for instance, uh, often teach me, you know, something that, uh, I didn't know about a new way of solving a problem or, you know, uh, making good use of uh, limited equipment and limited supplies uh, that I had never really thought of before. Well, they say they say that necessity is the mother of invention, and uh, you know, when we're sitting in our cozy operating rooms with all of our favorite tools, we don't get put into that that um, that position where we have to think creatively. And it sounds like you know you're out there, 
you're doing something that's super important and uh, at the same time you're coming back with new skills, new ideas, a fresh way to look at a problem that maybe you've never looked at before. And not only that, um, you're, you're dramatically impacting the quality of life of the people that you're touching. And I assume that when you come back, you probably come back with a renewed sense of purpose and a renewed sense of um, joy in what you do on a day-to-day basis. And so from my standpoint, I don't think there's a downside to this. And um, I'm just so thrilled um, to hear what your experience has been and really just want to encourage all the surgeons that are out there that may be listening to this. Man, let's let's do something about this. We, we can make a difference. Um, I know that sounds really cliche, um, so pardon that, but we are the people that, you know, at the end of our careers, we're going to look back and, and think about either those patients who were 2020 and, and blurry and drove us crazy, or we're going to think about the patients that we impacted like this. And um, I, I certainly want to have a, a whole lot more positive memories of patients that I maybe took care of that would otherwise not uh, been able to uh, get care, uh, rather than drive myself crazy with the uh, 2020 unhappies. So uh, is, that, is, that a, is that a fair assessment? Oh, I think that's definitely a fair assessment. So, you know, you think back and when you have those frustrating days like that, you know, one of the things I've invariably seen is the patients in greatest need are the most grateful, the most stoic, and the most understanding and patient of any of our patients. So it's just a delight to go in and see a problem, fix it. You don't have any of the regulatory things we need to think about or paperwork or insurance or all the parts of practice that you find so frustrating that have nothing to do with patient care. It's just whittled down to a patient in need. You have a, a gift to give them or a talent or solution for their problem, and, uh, and that's what you do. You fix the problem, and you move on and to the next problem and fix that too. So it's very, very rewarding. And the second thing is when you get back, Invariably, I am uh, so grateful for every little convenience I have here. It lets me see all of that in a new light. So the small things that used to be a bother, I think, well, those are small in comparison to the many, many blessings that we have that allow us to take really great care of our patients. That's right. You know, and uh, one of my favorite sayings is, uh, uh, to whom much has been given, much is required. And I, I think if we're ophthalmologists in the United States, we, we fall squarely into the much has been given category. And so I think we do have a responsibility, um, whether it's locally. Um, we do that in our own uh, clinic once a year. We, we uh, take care of the people who don't have insurance and can't get care. And, and honestly, it's the favorite. It's, it's all of our staff's favorite day of the year. Um, or if it's internationally like what you've done. Um, Kathleen, you are an inspiration um, in so many ways, and I really, really mean that. I really thank you for the leadership that you have uh, displayed, uh, both on the uh, just standard um, you know, ophthalmology side of things uh, here in the U.S., but also on, on this issue. Um, I really look up to you, and uh, thank you for all that you've done for uh, our profession and for the folks uh, you know, in, in Florida and Indiana and now, I guess, around the world. So, um, with all that being said, Kathleen, thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience and uh, coming on tonight. Oh, well, all of those kind words right back at you, Gary. I just admire you as well, and it's been a pleasure to speak with you, and, and I hope we have a, a chance to see each other at a meeting and chat soon. That sounds awesome. Through its one-for-one -one business model, Tom's has donated 60 million pairs of shoes to children in need. What you may not know, though, is that the company also has a site-giving program. Tom's Eyewear Purchases provide people in need with a full eye exam by a trained medical professional. 
Each patient then receives the treatment he or she needs. Here's Shira Schaefer on Tom's commitment to restoring sight and improving lives. Hello, this is Dr. Gary Wirtz, and today we have with us Dr. Shira Shafir, and she is the Director of Social Innovation and Impact at TOMS. And uh, Shira, I just want to say thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time and uh, talking to me and talking to the rest of the ophthalmic community about the great work that TOMS is doing, not only by giving shoes to uh, those who need um, shoes around the world, but actually uh, restoring sight and helping with preventable blindness around the world. And uh, when I heard about this program uh, that started um, quite, you know, quite some time ago, it really, you know, it really warmed my heart because as an ophthalmologist, clearly that's, that's my, um, that's, that's what I love to do is, is helping people uh, who can't see. And I love the corporate culture that, uh, that Tom's has. So with that being said, just want to say thank you for coming and uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on at Tom's these days. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure to, to be here and share a little bit about all the things that we're trying to do at Tom's. Well, that's awesome. You know, as we were talking a little bit earlier, I understand that you have a background in epidemiology and were a former professor at UCLA and uh, really un trying to understand and research um, trachoma, cataracts, um, refractive error, and then started um, uh, working on really seeing what kind of impact one-for-one uh, -one giving uh, was having through Tom. So. Tell us a little bit about that story about how you were working in epidemiology and started working with Tom's and, and then eventually transitioned to, to really being um, you know, di directly involved with Tom's. Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I was a professor at UCLA in the School of Public Health and School of Medicine where I still hold an appointment. And I had a student who graduated and took a position here in the giving department at Tom's and reached out and, and asked if I could help understand some of the impact that Tom's was having with the giving program. So when a child received a pair of shoes or, or when a cataract surgery was performed, what was the impact on the individual? What was the impact on the community? And so I began having some conversations about how the company could measure that impact and, and those conversations became a little bit more frequent. And then um, about three years ago, I started here full time and now my job has become broader, so not only do I look at the impact retrospectively, but also continue to look prospectively at how we can increase the impact we're having. I also um, work on managing all of our non-shoe giving programs, so everything that really is medical in nature. So our site giving program, our safe birth program, our safe water, and then also bullying prevention and response. So a really tremendously impactful, portfolio of work and also an exciting opportunity. And you know, it, it's really interesting. You know, we all, I think when we're younger or going through college or um, having aspirations of changing the world, um, you know, sometimes real life gets in the way or trying to hold down a nine to five job or finding, you know, ways to pay your rent or pay your bills gets in the way. And I just find it just incredible uh, what Blake McCoskey has been able to do with keeping that dream of not only forming a fantastic company with great products that really are fantastic and stand alone. But really the why behind all of that really seems to be, you know, solving um, or potentially providing sustainable solutions to solvable problems. I mean, tell me a little bit about the corporate culture inside of Tom's 
that perhaps is so unique in, in, in that they're a company that's making great products, but really the focus is almost, that almost becomes secondary with the primary focus being on really impacting the world. Tell me how that works in a corporate uh, culture. Yeah, at our core, we really do believe we are in business to improve lives, and, and that is what fuels everything that we do. So. Our eyewear team works really hard to produce both sunglasses and optical frames that people want to buy. But with everything that they do, they understand that when someone makes a decision to buy that pair of frames, that another person around the world in, in 13 countries, in fact, is going to have their sight restored, whether that's through a sight-saving surgery, whether that's through a medical treatment, or whether that's through the provision of a pair of uh, prescription frames. And so fundamentally, we are in business to improve lives. Um, and it's really an innovative way of, um, of approaching business. Well, and I think it makes it so easy for people who are consumers and looking for products to want to do business with Tom's or a company like Tom's. Um, and as we had spoken earlier, you know, we both are, I guess, fans of Simon Sinek and his whole It Starts With Why uh, TED Talk. And uh, I think if there's one company on the planet that it's really obvious why you all exist, uh, Tom's would really be it. And that's, that's just so, that's so evident. Um, walk us through a little bit about how um, the site uh, restoration program works. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, the partner organizations you work with, the countries that you work in. Give us a little bit of a rundown of, of the logistics of how it actually goes together. Yeah, so um, when someone makes a decision to purchase a pair of Tom's frames, and originally when we started we only had sunglasses, but uh, last year we were really excited to launch optical frames. So for those of your listeners who uh, now have the opportunity to purchase optical frames for their patients as well, um, we think that's a tremendously exciting opportunity. So when the patient makes a decision uh, or the customer makes a decision to purchase those frames, we then make the match. And so we allocate what we talk about as ones between all of our site-giving partners. And all of our site-giving partners are members of the IAPB, and they all operate under a sustainable eye care model. And so what they will do as eye care professionals, all of whom themselves are ophthalmologists or optometrists, is they will make the decision um, after performing a comprehensive eye exam, what is the best way to help restore sight to that individual. And so they essentially have one of three choices. They can help restore sight by providing a sight-saving surgery, and the vast majority of the time that will be a cataract surgery, but in some situations that may be, for example, um, surgery for trichiasis. They may help restore sight by providing the appropriate prescription glasses, or they may help restore sight by providing medical treatment. And one of the things we're most excited about is, first of all, we've helped to do that over 400,000 times, as you've mentioned. Um, and second of all, over 40% of the sight-saving services that we have provided to this point um, have been surgical services. And that's pretty tremendous because um, there are other... There are other industries and there are other competitors who are also helping to restore sight. But the fact that we've allocated over 40% to surgical services, um, we know is tremendously impactful. And, and that cannot be understated. Um, and just a little bit of my background, my parents, my father's an internist and um, they were medical missionaries in Kazakhstan and throughout um, the world. And what was interesting, just being an outside observer and actually going in at times and helping um, with that, 
Um, internal medicine is a great field, but you, you know, it's not a, a one-time intervention that, that provides a long-term cure. It's really an ongoing medical um, risk management. The, the great thing about cataract surgery, as we all know, is it's really a one-time intervention that provides you know, potentially a lifetime cure. And it's, it's low cost and high impact. And, and you know, as an ophthalmologist, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but I think you know, in terms of you know, impact per dollar, I don't know if there's a better thing to invest in than cataract surgery for those who have preventable blindness. Um, one other thing that I was, I was sort of reading on, on your website and, and doing a little bit of research, I didn't realize that two thirds of the people around the world who have preventable blindness are women. And um, you all really work you know, heavily to try to um, provide um, cataract surgery and other um, services, particularly to women, to try to neutralize that gender gap. Is that true? Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, two-thirds of those who are preventably blind around the world are women. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that, but one of the biggest reasons is that um, in a number of communities, particularly those in the developing world, they just don't prioritize providing services to women in their communities. And so we have asked our partners to preferentially provide service to preventably blind women. And so one of the things we've seen is that well over 50% of the services by gender that have been provided to this point have been provided to women. And so that's something that we are really particularly proud of because we know that there are a huge number of downstream effects when you are able to help restore sight to a woman in a community. So for example, um, you can see that um, there are um, effects such as their daughters no longer have to be removed from school if the mother can once again see. Um, and so now you're essentially providing service for two people by helping to restore sight to a mother or to an older woman in the community. So we're incredibly proud that our partners have preferentially provided sight restoring services to women. Well, and that, that provides such a generational impact where you're, you're, you're breaking that cycle potentially of um, you know, decreased opportunity for younger women. And, um, you know, I just love everything you all are doing. And it reminds me that no matter what I'm doing, there's always a way to give back if you look for it, if you find it. And it, it's such a, a rare thing to see that being uh, modeled so clearly by a company uh, that's, you know, a for-profit or, you know, a company, for example, um, and I'm really just uh, super impressed. Will you, will you give me a little bit more um, guidance on, on maybe some of the ways ophthalmologists may be able to help either um, with TOMS or potentially with the partner organizations that you work with? I'm sure a, a number of, of people who will be hearing this um, would be interested in giving back and doing potential cataract missions. A lot of ophthalmologists I know do that already. Uh, we do that in our practice locally for people who uh, cannot pay for cataract surgery through a, through a once a year program in, in our community. Um, but for folks who are looking to you know, also go out and give some of their time, could you give us a little bit of information about your partner organizations and perhaps how to get involved if you have any information on that? Yeah, absolutely. So with our site giving model, one of the things that's most important to us is that our partner organizations are first of all holistic, uh, they're high quality, they're sustainable, they're job creating, 
Um, but the last thing about them is that they have to be local, and it's really important to understand the eye care needs in a community. They, they have to be individuals who are local members of the community and that they are a local presence. And so as you mentioned, um, you know, with your experience with your parents, um, you have to have someone who's a member of the community, and particularly as we're seeing with the increase in diabetic retinopathy and glaucoma, we want to have someone who's there in order to monitor the healthcare needs of a community in a very sustainable and ongoing way. So we've chosen to work with eye care organizations who are permanent members of the community who can care for the eye care needs of the community members uh, on an ongoing basis. But we also recognize that there is another model, and that's to come in and be able to provide for cataract services and cataract surgery. And that's where I think a number of your listeners could come in and, and help to be able to provide for um, kind of a bolus of cataract services. And um, there are a number of really excellent organizations like Sight Savers and Orbis who do work in this way. And I think your listeners would have a tremendous impact on a community um, if they were able to come in. Um, for your listeners who are interested in learning more about the sustainable eye care model, I do encourage them to go to SEVA.org, or if they're really interested in traveling a little bit farther, one of our partners, the Aravind Eye Care Organization in Madurai, India, um, is really the exemplar and the model of how this um, has been developed. And one of the things that they might find really interesting that's quite different from the way that surgery is performed here in the United States is fundamentally they believe in high quality but high volume surgery. And so very often they'll have up to four patients in the operating theater at any, any given time. And so that would be something really fascinating and different to see for some of your listeners. No, absolutely. And we, there are a number of uh, ophthalmologists um, internationally and, um, and, and locally that I know that have gone and have seen sort of the small incision manual cataract techniques that are um, just just quite incredible without even fake emulsification. Uh, they're, they're able to do just amazing work um, uh, through extra caps. So um, listen, I, I really just want to say once again, Shira, thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your time. I feel like... Um, Sometimes people don't get recognized or companies don't get recognized that are really just doing the right thing for the right reasons. And um, I really appreciate um, the work that Tom's is doing, not only with giving shoes to the needy, uh, but also helping save, um, save people from preventable blindness. So once again, just thank you so much. And if there's anything that uh, I can do to help in the future, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks very much. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to you. In many areas, access to eye care is incredibly limited. I encourage our listeners to consider how they can join Dr. McCabe and companies like Tom's in their efforts to serve the many individuals in need worldwide. After all, as ophthalmologists, our commitment is to provide the gift of sight whenever and wherever possible. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Thanks for listening. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is supported by Elevro from Alcon.